This morning we're going to be talking about Acts 1, 1 through 8, very first chapter, first eight verses of the uh, book of Acts. Acts was written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. So uh, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and then decided, you know, he, he extended the, uh, the, the, the research he was doing for his friend Theophilus. And so he wrote the book of Acts. We'll be reading from that this morning. But first, before we go there, just a little bit from last week, if we can go to the next slide. Um, this is essentially uh, what we were talking about last week, gather, grow, give, and go, and have an evangelism challenge for all of us to begin. At maybe the, the evangelism, the person you want to invite to church is one of these pins on this board. If they're not, then by the end of before you leave today, come up, grab a pin, and put them <laughs> on this board because I'm going to be praying that these people uh, get touched by the love of Jesus and, and, and come and come to church. Come and find all of you amazing people. So, um, so that's the first thing is to invite at least one person. or family. Don't be limited to one. Invite 5, 10, 20, 100 if you can. Uh, pray for your person on the prayer board. Uh, we'll find out next week. The message next week is going to talk about what the apostles were doing uh, right before 3,000 people uh, came to the Lord and started the first church. And you'll find that they were praying. Another thing is to host or attend one of the Dinners for Eight. Dinners for Eight is going to be something we're going to be talking about. Uh, I'd really like to see everyone in the church either host or attend one because, you know, the fellowship that happens outside of the planned and scheduled service is so important to a church to keep us connected, to keep us friends, and to keep conversation going. You know, this conversation we're having now, I'm talking, you're listening, but there's, there's not a lot of like, it's not a discussion, right? It's, it's a delivery, it's a public address. And so it's amazing to have those discussions inside a home. And then last but not least, to start a life group. You know, if you have that dinner for eight, and you're like, hey, Let's keep this going. Let's let's you know let's do this once or twice a month or every week, and and then all of a sudden you've got your own little home fellowship that you can encourage each other with, and pray for and be a part of. So that's where we're going. That's the gather, uh, the gather part. I know I have gather, grow, give and go, but this is the gather portion. So in the next uh, today, this week and next week, we'll be talking about gathering, possibly the week after too. So, um, also. Uh, <coughs> wanted to say one more thing. Uh, this past week was interesting for me. Uh, last Sunday, I gave a real call to evangelism to reach out um, for Christ, that my vision was to really become uh, people who uh, just love people into the kingdom. The emails I got this week were on all about everything but that. <laughs> and so uh, I, I'm, I know, I understand we're in a time in the church right now that is very interesting uh, that there are strong feelings and strong emotions uh, that are going on, uh, strong, you know, interpretations of theology and things like that. And I, I recognize that for some of you, you, you would like a bit stronger leadership in some of those areas. So over the next two weeks, I'm going to kind of fill in some of that, that what I got in both my emails and conversations this week and kind of let you know some of where I'm at but also why it's not always the best thing for a pastor to simply air his personal opinions and feelings every week in church. And so uh, anyway, over the next two weeks, I want to give a week for everybody to kind of get the word out, but over the next two weeks, I'll address some of those concerns that I got in both my emails and phone calls and things like that. All right, you ready? Start this message. 
Let's go. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open up our minds and open up our ears to what you have to say this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd, you'd, you'd empower me, give me the words to say. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would empower the gathered conversation here, t- congregation here to receive your word and to even hear beyond what I may teach, Lord, and that it would be life-changing for us because, God, we don't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Jesus' name, amen. One time, many years ago, I was golfing with some friends. Now, I'll be honest with you, I am not a terrifically good golfer. Uh, In fact, I have holes that I'm good, I have holes that I'm not good. But I typically golf with people who are great. I don't know why, you know. But every time I go golfing, I I seem to feel like the child of the group, and they're all like, you know, hitting it, and they they can't even see their ball when they're done with it. You know, I hit it, and it's like, yeah, we we know exactly where your ball is, you know, it's right there. Well, I was on a particularly bad hole, and I'd hit this thing, and it was like two feet from a mosquito-infested pond. Uh, they, they were all like on the green. They were finishing up. In fact, I think one of the carts we were with, they went to the next hole, and my partner, who I call my cartner, uh, he was there in the cart, and he was just sitting there looking through his phone like we do all the time when we're bored. And I'm back here by this mosquito-infested pond, and I'm frustrated, and I'm mad. So I just grab any old club, and I just go, whoop-boom! And the thing goes high, high, high. And I look, and I still can't see my ball. So I'm thinking, either I hit it to the next green, or I hit it. So I'm walking up. It's in the hole. It's in the hole. I look down. It's in the hole. I, I mean... <laughs> Okay, you're all looking at me like you don't believe me, all right? It was in the hole, I promise. It was in the hole. And, and, and the funny thing was, <laughs> it was the best shot of the game, but I couldn't even get excited about it. Why? Because nobody saw it. You know, the, the guy who's the worst golfer in the group, and they come up and they're like, hey, did you guys see that? I just chipped it in. What are they all doing? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> We, you know, if you need to say that to make yourself feel better, pastor, then go ahead and lie to us, you know. And so, you know, without a witness, it wasn't worth much. But you see, the beauty of church, all you guys, is you believe me, don't you? All I have to do is say it. You believe it, right? (laughs) When something amazing happens, it's good to have a witness. Amen? This morning, we're going to be talking about witnessing, only not witnessing a golf ball or a 20-pound bass, but witnessing to the greatest truth we'll ever know, a truth that can not only change lives, it can change nations, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and the infilling of the power of the Holy Spirit. You ready for that? All right, turn with me to Acts. If you don't have your Bible, it will be up here on the screen. Beginning in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is, again, the author Luke. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, this is his friend, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up from heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. He said here, by the way, this is very interesting. 
John, uh, Luke is going to talk about witnessing. This very book is a witness. He wrote a book to witness to his friend about the resurrection of Jesus. It says in verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. This is the truth that they were the witness to. This is our primary truth we witness to. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. If you're not sure what the gospel is, boom, right? That's a good start right there. A few more things added to it, you know, forgiveness of sins and all that. We'll get to that in a moment. But Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. So he appeared to them of a period over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, when he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him. Now, this is interesting. They gathered around him and they said, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel? They were thinking politics. They were thinking, we're sick of Rome. We're sick of the governor's policies. We're definitely sick of the Jewish leaders as well. They weren't just sick of this. They were sick of all of them. Our spiritual leaders, our political leaders, Jesus, we need to wash this chalkboard, get rid of them all. Are you going to do that now? Because that's what we're really excited about. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's great. Yeah, we'll wait in Jerusalem. We'll do whatever you say. But is this the time where we go back to David? Is this the time where we go back to Solomon? Is this the time where we get a new Moses? Is this the time where we tell the Romans what they can go do with themselves? Is this the time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. This is why I'm always careful and leery of people who predict Christ's return. I've had a handful of them in my lifetime, 2018, 2012, 1999, and I think a little earlier than that, you know. And so uh, the Father has set by his own authority, and it's not for us to know. The signs are there, but the day is still a mystery. And so he says in verse 8, but you will receive power. See, they want to talk about politics. Jesus wants to talk about power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Before the apostles said anything to anyone, Jesus wanted them to have his power to do it. And he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Bakersfield, in Judea and Samaria, California, and to the ends of the world, the world. That's why I have three maps so that we can follow the biblical pattern of acts in reaching our world. Amen? Now, let me ask some. How do we witness about a God we cannot see, a Jesus we've never physically met, and a heaven we've never physically been to? And Jesus is saying, first of all, you can't. You can't without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't without God's power. Jesus concedes there are two kinds of power on the earth. Spirit, money, I mean, there's a dichotomy. There's all these things, but there's really two kinds of power on the earth. There's man's power, 
which is kind of governments or kings or emperors. We call it political power. And then there's Holy Spirit power, the power of the Holy Spirit. A wrong example of spiritual power you could find in Buddhism. And I don't mean to put down Buddhism per se, uh, although I am obviously going about to preach against it. But Buddha said, live by these eight noble truths. The eight noble truths are, about six of them are just fine. They're just ethical things. Not, nothing wrong with doing them. But he said, if you live by these eight noble truths, and you really live by them, you will go to heaven. You'll reach nirvana. If you don't, you'll come back, and you'll have to do it over and over and over until you go to heaven and reach nirvana. So the problem with what Buddha said was he laid out a prescription but gave them no power or ability to fulfill that prescription. And his believers began to get more and more and more frustrated with him. So Buddha said, when I die, cremate my body, cut up my bones, and my bones will help, hopefully help everybody be able to be good people and follow these eight noble truths. Do you think it worked? It didn't work. Because Buddha had no power to make it work. His bones had no power to make it work. If it wasn't rooted in Christ and the Holy Spirit, it was never going to work. That's why I'm a Christian, because it works and all the other ones don't. And the reason it works is because Jesus has given us the power of the Holy Spirit. If we didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus said, uh, these are the things you need to do and you need to do them for my name, they would be nearly impossible for us to do. We don't realize how much the power of the Holy Spirit is flowing through us when we do even some of the more normal things or more common things that Jesus has called us to do. We're still being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Then there's man's power, political power. Now, let me say this, because I think people are confused on this with me personally. We should all be active politically to stop the destruction of the United States of America. We should. We have the power of vote. Some of my ancestors uh, served in the military to ensure we have the power of the vote. We have, we have legislation. We have executive branch. We have courts. We should do everything we can to represent and contend for biblical values in the political realm. So as I compare the Holy Spirit's power to political power, I hope you do not walk away saying, well, Tom's saying we should just abandon all political structure or, or, or political activity. That's not what I'm saying at all. I hope by the end of what I have to say, you will understand exactly what I'm trying to tell you, that the power of the Holy Spirit is infinitely greater than any power we could possess in government. Amen? So... <coughs> The problem with political power is it's still less than the Holy Spirit's power. Political power can change policies, but it can't change hearts. Political power could win an election, but it can't save a life. Political power can pass righteous laws, and we should, but it won't make anyone righteous. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to do that. Only the Holy Spirit can change hearts, restore families, and save an entire nation from destruction. In fact, if you would stand with me and pray right now, come on.
Stand with me together. Stand with me. And repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, we pray right now for the leaders in the government over the United States of America that you would change their hearts, bring conviction of sin over the laws and policies that are not of you. We pray for and contend for our nation and the people leading it. In Jesus' name, amen. We should be doing that every day, especially right now. Amen? You can be seated. Here's a good example of this. In the early 20th century, uh, some well-meaning people came up with an idea called the Grand Experiment. Some of you who are teachers may remember this, or some of you who uh, know some of the amendments of the Constitution may remember this. But in 1919, we passed the 18th Amendment to the Constitution. Does anybody know what that amendment was? Prohibition. Are you a teacher? You are a teacher. <laughs> the teachers always know this stuff. So in 1919, we passed the amendment of prohibition, which for those of you who don't know what that means, it prohibited the sale and distribution of alcoholic beverages in the United States. The proponents said that if we just outlawed liquor, we could change society. But the problem is, politics cannot do what only the Holy Spirit can do. It didn't work because Americans by the millions visited bootleggers and speakeasies. It became such a joke of an amendment that uh, less than 20 years later, less than 15 years later, in 1933, it was the 21st Amendment that repealed the 18th Amendment, and the grand experiment was over. Why did it fail? Because no law, no power of man has the power to change human nature. Only God can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. The salt and light revolution is powered by God's power, not our power. And what we need to pray for is that some of God's power would begin to change our leadership from the top up, top down. You know, I mean, all of them. That we would have a revolution of God's power bring us back. And again, not necessarily to trust in the policies, but to trust in God's power through our leaders. In fact, if there's anything I've really noticed, almost every person that has a position of leadership in any way in society has, is being criticized, attacked, sus suspicion, you know. When we lose that hierarchy and structure, we can descend into anarchy, spiritual anarchy. It, it, it can get ugly really quick. I don't always like it. And over the last 18 months, it has not always been easy. But I've made a choice. I will submit to my leaders, whether I uh, always totally agree with them or not, because I feel like the price we pay if we go into spiritual anarchy could be much, much higher. And so uh, it hasn't always been easy but I have always felt the Lord guiding me to go down that road uh, because that's where he's guided me. So Jesus said in this passage, you will be my witness. Now what did he mean? He means to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and being a part of God's ministry 
to tell and show his risen son. Say that with me. To tell and show his risen son. That's what we do. And I've just got four quick points here that will hopefully give us some uh, ways in which to do that. All right, we could go to our next slide real quick. I'll make sure that that matches that. Okay, good. First thing here is to plug the holes. Each of us are like a cup for God. And as he pours the Holy Spirit in, it's like, like a liquid that's pouring in and filling our souls. Here is the problem that so many of us can get to. We're going to have like a little bit of Sunday school today. I've got a, an example here to show. All right. This cup is God's pouring of the Holy Spirit, okay? This is us, all right? So often what happens is as God fills us with the Spirit, see that? We begin to leak out. And how do we begin to leak out? Leaks can be caused by indifference to God's mission fear of rejection some of our own doubts and unbelief anger and bitterness i've had people say you know tom i'm a christian why can't i perform miracles like some of these people in the bible and so and i say why well, i can't always answer that for you i'm not god but my first question would be do you got leaks because here's the thing i'm looking at there's enough water in here to believe but there's really not enough to obey we can have enough water to believe. We can have enough water to still be people of faith. We can have enough water to get into heaven, sure. But there's really not much more power beyond that, beyond just basic belief. When God fills us with the Holy Spirit, sometimes we've got to plug some of those holes. We've got to plug bitterness. We've got to plug addictions. We've got to plug affairs even the affairs of the heart and the mind. We've got to plug laziness. We've got to plug greed. We've got to plug a self-absorbed outlook on life. We've got to plug an overemphasis on intellectualism and rationalism. You've got to start plugging all these things. We've got to plug any allegiances to secular humanism. And as you begin to plug those things, what happens is you may not get them all, But boy, that, but you see, the leak has been, you know, slowed down. And, and there's power and there's power in that cup. And as you begin to plug those holes, that's why, you know, the Bible is so key on talking about a concept called repentance. Through repentance, we don't just repent so that we have higher status with God. You are forgiven. You have all the status with God you'll ever need. You are forgiven. Past, present, future, it's all under the blood of Jesus Christ. So then why would we repent? Because God wants to fill you up with his power. And an unrepentant heart in any one of these kind of areas, greed, laziness, self-absorbed, all that kind of, all the kind of temptations and sins we deal with, it just pokes holes until pretty soon we only got drops left in the tank. Enough to not walk away with, from Jesus but not enough to advance his kingdom any further. Plug those holes in the Holy Spirit. 
And I promise you, you will begin to feel the power of the Holy Spirit rising in you. Now, I'll have somebody ask me, so does that mean if, I, if I'm just so full of holes, God can't use me? <laughs> Absolutely not. What do you say to the disciples? If you have faith the side of a mu- size of a mustard seed, thank you, <laughs> mustard seed, very small seed. If you've got a drop in there, he'll use that one drop. And that's great. But there's another way to live. You can plug those holes and have a lot more than a drop to give God. Amen? Float there for a second. My second point is this. Be honest about your mistakes and weaknesses. Sometimes when people don't know I'm a believer, (laughs) especially out in public, and they'll start to share Jesus with me, I can kind of tell they're placing themselves as, oh, I have this great life, and God has blessed me so much, and it's just perfect, it's just wonderful. It's almost like they're selling Jesus rather than telling me about Jesus. And in my heart, I I just, I almost, I almost, uh, I almost enjoy the honest approach far more than the, I mean, yeah, and that's great. I'm not denying that, that, that that excitement and that exuberance shouldn't be there. It should. When I share Jesus with people, I am excited and exuberant. Why? Because I'm not perfect. And Jesus still sticks with me. Jesus still loves me. Jesus is still with me. Jesus is still working on me. And I'm not perfect. I've made some mistakes. As I look over the 11 years I've pastored this church and the 11 years I was a youth pastor, I am embarrassed over some of the many mistakes I've made. And I will be blunt honest with you. I won't mind being honest about them. I have made some doozies. <laughs> and I'm so glad that God still sticks with me. That's a witness. That's part of how I know Jesus, who he says he is, he's alive. Because that spirit he placed in me, he's never taken it away. No matter how bad I've blown it. A lot of people may feel like if they share honestly, they may somehow make God look bad. You know, well, Tom, (laughs) you don't want me talking to people about Jesus because I will screw it up and I will probably make God look like the worst God in the world. Look, none of our example of Christ is totally pure, you know. One of my, my, uh, you know, not to excuse this, but one of my primary disciples, you know, Struggled smoking weed and two packs of cigarettes a day. And, uh, and I, I, I have to like wrestle with that because he had these great things to say about God and the Bible because he was raised a Christian, but he was kind of like in a funky state at that point. So I'm like, I got to filter out what's going on here. I'm not really sure, you know. I mean, but I mean, he was, he was not perfect. And I'd be like, you know, uh, can I pray for you? He's like, yeah, you need to pray for me. I know I need to quit smoking. I don't want to die of whatever you die of from that stuff, lung cancer or whatever. But I mean, it was, it was his honesty that really touched me, not necessarily his struggles, but his honesty. If God can make a difference in our lives, and we tell that to people, and yet we're still not perfect or pure in every aspect, then the people we're talking to will feel like they can come to God just as they are. Remember, we're simply to tell people Jesus is alive, He forgives our sins, and he is working in our hearts. 
to make us more like him. Working day after day after day. The addictions you struggle with now, you, you shouldn't, if Jesus is still working, you shouldn't struggle with lifelong. At some point, there should be hopefully some freedom and some, some, some victory in that area. If there's not, again, he's not going to abandon you, but, but still. Number three, talk about your experiences with God. It's kind of funny. Sometimes when I talk to people about Jesus and Jesus being alive, it's like they have no category of understanding with which to process that. For many people, believing in Jesus is like believing in Christopher Columbus, you know? But here's the problem. Christopher Columbus is a dead man. Jesus is alive. Either you have him or you're not. Either you believe it or you don't. But Christopher Columbus is a, is a dead person. And so I try to share with people the ways in which Jesus is alive in me. And probably one of the greatest ways he is, is restraint. If you would have known me growing up or whatever, I was a very unrestrained person. Anger, violence. My mom tells a story that I got in my first fight when I was five years old. <laughs> Older boy was holding me by the forehead, and I'm here I am swinging. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I mean, it was just, I don't know, it was just, just maybe what I felt needed to happen. The thing that I look back and see the Holy Spirit doing supernaturally and miraculously in my heart is restraining, restraining me from some of these things where if I was unrestrained, I know I'd spin out and kill myself somewhere, you know. And so I'll share that as an experience of the living Christ inside of me and a witness to the fact that Jesus is alive. I remember before, when I was sort of like didn't know anything and I, I wasn't sure about Jesus or the church or anything like that, uh, I had a friend who kept, in high school, kept constantly telling me about Jesus and kept trying to, I was like his witness project. And I'll tell you this right now, I never let him think anything was sinking in. And a lot of people you talk to, they will never give you the satisfaction of letting you know some of the seeds you're dropping are sinking in. But I can tell you right now, that was a bold-faced lie on my part because those seeds were sinking in. I'd be up at night staring at the ceiling thinking about everything he said. He probably walked away going, man, I am never going to witness the Tom Nackey again because that guy just has a, a comeback for everything I say. He's very witty. He's going to da 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 I'm just, I'm just going to give up on him. I'm so glad he didn't. Because what he didn't know and I'd never admit to, I was sitting there in my bed at night looking up the ceiling going, man, I think this might all be true. And my heart would start pounding. I'd be going, man, I... And I'd listen. I'd still argue with him. But I'd be listening. <laughs> and then finally, number four, let God have his fair chance to work through you. Do your part, but be at peace for God to do his. I stop with this point because actually next week we're going to be talking about the day of Pentecost. Next week we're going to be talking about the demonstrations the supernatural demonstrations of God's power and things like that. So if some of you are wondering, like, you know, uh, you're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, but you didn't, you didn't go into the, the this is Acts 1. We'll get into Acts 2 
next week. But I want to end with this thought. Because I think for a lot of people, we're afraid it won't work. And usually we think that because we're thinking of someone who seems so hardened to the gospel or spiritual things that you're just inviting nothing but a rude put down if you even try to share with them. Well, when you think the gospel won't work, I want you to remember one very important fact. For most, if not all of you, it worked for you. And if it worked for you, it works for the world. We are all not so different as you think. We really aren't. We're human beings on a sin-cursed, fear-driven planet looking for hope. All of us. I was a tough nut to crack. Humanly. I think I was like an easy nut to squeeze for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is it worked with you. And if it can work with you, it can work for someone else. Don't ever give up on the gospel because you don't think it works. If God got you, he can get anybody. If God got Mark, God can get anybody. If God got joy, both joys, he can get anybody. God got Tony. He, if God got Tim Harris, he can get anybody. Let me tell you that right now, you know. <laughs> I only do that to friends, so don't worry. <laughs> I remember once uh, when I was in college, I had, a, I had a good, strong Christian friend. and He'd look at me and he'd say, Tom, man, I look, I look for the most hardened person I can find to share my faith with. I'm like, really? Don't you like struggle with a lot of rejection, you know? He goes, man, when you find that most hardened person, you know it's a little bit of you and it's a whole lot of God. And I love seeing that miracle. Every single one of you this morning, if you have accepted Christ and you have accepted the Holy Spirit into yourself, you're a walking miracle. The person who witnessed to you they didn't save you. They didn't persuade you. The Holy Spirit through them opened the eyes of your heart to see Jesus crucified, risen, and I promise you, He is coming again. Amen? Bow your heads. Pray with me. Let's just take a moment. And just ask God to put somebody on your heart. Ask God to put somebody in your mind that maybe you thought was a lost cause. Maybe you thought, man, they'll just, they'll never, they'll never. God loves the they'll nevers. <laughs> He wakes up and has those kinds of folks for breakfast. <laughs> because you see, at the end of the day, it's not our power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's plug those holes. Let's plug those holes. Let's get honest. Let's share our experiences. 
Jesus is alive. What's he doing in us today or last week or last year or in the coming months? And let's give God his fair chance. He can use you. He can use anybody. And if God got to you, God can save the world. I really hope that God gave you another push pin to put in the map after we're done. Because if you just got one person, you got too little. That's like a farmer planting one, one plant. And he gets six ears of corn off that plant. That's not enough. Plant a field. So I pray that maybe it's a son or daughter or a mother or father, friend, co-worker. Luke says in Acts chapter 1, we're to be about the business of witnessing. Next week we're going to talk about how to do that, but we're about to be about the business of witnessing. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, bring to me the harvest. Send me to the harvest. I commit to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to show and tell the world the risen Jesus because he lives. He lives. Come on, say it. He lives. In Jesus' name, amen.